everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And we are back for another week of true crime and nursing and healthcare and all that fun stuff. And guess what? Mike with Simple Nursing is back. Hello, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Woohoo! It's good. It's good. Good to have you back. Always so much fun whenever you come on and we do these stories together. You're just a blast to do this <laughs> show with. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so we have um, a couple of stories uh, to, to to do. Of course, we have the bad nurse, and we have a, a good nurse story. I want I do want to say up front. Sometimes, obviously, we have a true crime element to the show, and so everybody kind of understands that. You know, when we talk about true crime, there's going to be some things, details, and that sort of thing that are going to be in the show that might be a little uncomfortable. But if you listen to true crime, that's probably not unexpected. But today's show is particularly disturbing. So just if hearing, I will I will just issue sort of a trigger warning for, for people uh, because it does involve babies and it does involve uh, child abuse. So if just kind of warning you now, might want to skip this one if that's something that's really difficult for you to listen to and for different reasons, everybody's got their reasons, okay? So just want to kind of get that out of the way there and give you the opportunity to not listen if you if you don't want to. It's All right. pretty pretty difficult subject, really. And uh, it's, a, it's a, a story that I've been, uh, someone sent it to me actually a, a several months ago. And when I first saw it, I remember my stomach turning when I read about mm. it and almost thinking, I'm never going to do that story. And then, because <laughs> it's just like, that's just so sickening, I can't. Then another person sent it to me and I was like, okay. Mm. So I started thinking, okay, the whole point, like I say this every week, um, that we talk about the true crime because we do want to sort of shine the light in the darkness of sometimes people do just absolutely horrible things and you can't just bury your head in the sand and pretend like this stuff doesn't happen. That's not healthy. And so I I thought, okay, I should probably do the story and uh, just tell about it. And that way people are aware these people exist. These awful things do happen. And maybe in some way we could even prevent something like this from happening or detect it early on so that um, it doesn't continue to happen. So anyway, just kind of getting that out there. Mike, um, with his kind of personality, sort of, uh, you know, fun and light, and I always enjoy doing the show with him, I thought, okay, this is going to be really difficult to do. So, Oh, my gosh. So you I, saved it for me. All I right. figure you're going to help me get through this because, uh, you know, otherwise this okay. is going to be a real downer. <laughs> tell you. I'm glad that you like, you know, Gave everyone, you know, the 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 warning, the public warning, and you didn't give me one. So here Oops. I am. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I will. Now I sent this story to you. What a couple of days ago. So yesterday, yes. And I kept um, thinking he is, he he hadn't said anything, so he must be okay with it. I had. A, We're going to roll with it. We're going to. I had another one in my back pocket, and um, and actually, I thought, okay. If he comes back and is like, mm, I don't want to think I want to do this story, then I'll be like, okay, I got this one. Here you go. <laughs> so we're going to do both of them. All right. No. <laughs> Lord. So, yeah, yeah. having said all of that, just to sort of prepare everyone, this is the story of Christopher Kafayam. And it's the last name is spelled K A P H A E M. And 
I'm just going to pronounce it Kafayam. I don't know how else to pronounce it. On February 9th, 2018, uh, Detective Scott Sochkin, Detective Angela Samoski, and Detective Sergeant Julie Johnson were called to investigate two reported cases of potential child abuse that may have occurred at Meritor Hospital, which is located at uh, 202 Park Street in the city of Madison, Wisconsin. So, mm-hmm. Detective Sochkin, he contacted one of the pediatricians there, and that pediatrician told the detective that she had observed injuries consistent with child abuse on two different children who were patients at the NICU at Meritor Hospital, and that's why they, that's what they were reporting. So that okay. same, yeah. So that same day, Dr. Sajkin, along with a social worker for the Dane County Department of Human Services, met with the director of nursing for that hospital, the nurse manager for the NICU, and a neonatologist assigned to the NICU. So Dr. Matthew Herrer, Dr. Herrer was the neonatologist. He indicated that he was the attending physician for one of the infants that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And they obviously rather than releasing names, they referred to them as like infant one, infant two, you know, that sort of thing. So he was the attending physician for infant one. Dr. Julie Kessel was the attending for the infant um, that they referred to as infant two. So for infant two, Dr. Hare told the investigators that another physician had been examining infant two. So this is what I uh, envision is like they hand off and they obviously can't be available 24-7. So even though he was attending, there was another physician that was examining this infant on February the 2nd. And that, that physician noticed unusual bruising on the infant's arm. And then, mm. the, yeah, then the next day on February 3rd, she noticed bruising on infant one's arms. So at first, they thought that bru- the bruising was due to medical devices. And of course, that's not uncommon at all for patients to develop pressure injuries due to medical equipment. It happens all the time. We sometimes in trying to take care of people, it, I think if forehead probes trying uh, that uh, detect O2 are terrible. Um, oh, yeah. They, they will cause a horrible pressure injury. And even blood pressure cuffs, all kinds of things can happen to cause and I would imagine a little tiny, fragile, you know, infant, premature baby. Yeah, of course. So I guess it wouldn't be unusual to see that, you know, little bruises or something. But hmm. yeah, this doctor looked at this and and thought, oh, something is not right here because yeah, something's not adding up. Yeah, it just wasn't consistent with what what would be, I guess, a normal pressure injury. So hmm. and then. On February 7th, she noticed swelling on the back of infant one's head. And Dr. Hare told detectives that the infant was, at this point, over 70 days old and that that was just not normal. It was not at all. And they're in the NICU still? hmm Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know what was wrong with these particular babies <clears throat> as far as what was keeping them in the NICU, but yeah, they were still, they were, mm-hmm. these were all in, in the, um, the neonatal intensive care unit. And so Dr. Hare observed an ultrasound of infant one's head on February the 8th, which showed blood or fluid between the infant's skull and scalp, which was highly unusual. And a a skeletal exam showed infant one had suffered a parietal fracture to his skull, a wrist fracture, and a left humerus fracture. So, oh do- my gosh. I know. Dr. Harris said that there were also concerns about injuries to infant one's right leg, 
and that there was some unknown hemorrhage by his eye, which was possibly caused by some sort of irritation. So hmm. they, they called in a child abuse expert, Dr. Knox, that examined infant two, who was approximately 27 weeks old. And deter- hey. she determined, I know, she determined that she had injuries to her arm and hand consistent with someone squeezing. Oh gosh, it's just so incredibly difficult to really talk about this stuff, but they were consistent with someone squeezing her wrist while her fingers were curled. So Dr. Harris. I swear it's so disturbing. It's it's hard to talk about. I almost just have to like talk about it and not think about it too much, but because I have mm-hmm. the notes in front of me. So Dr. Hare also told detectives that several months ago, another infant identified as infant four had also wow. had, had unexplained injuries on the upper side of his palm. So Dr. Hare indicated mm-hmm. that he had determined that the same nurse had recently cared for infant one and infant two, and that that same nurse had also cared for infant four. So they're kind of looking at this like, hmm, there's a common denominator here, you know? Yeah, it's the same nurse. Mm -hmm. You have multiple abuse signs and symptoms. It's funny because like you're in the hospital, you think it's a safe place, and then boom, when you go to assess your patient, they have like new uh, bruises and fractures like what the heck is going on well yeah that's just the thing um and it, it it makes me think of when i was doing the the notes for the story um because kiki's been off getting her pccn which she got by the way so where are you cuz i'm still doing the show <laughs> but when i was doing the the notes for this show i was it was just so disturbing to just have to look through these um, details and decide what to put in and what not to. Um, that was what came to my mind is right now, patients at the hospital are allowed one family member to be there. And there was a time when no family members were allowed to be there. And I, you know, I said to Mark, I was like, you know, if I was ever like incapacitated in the hospital, would you leave me by myself? Like, I'm not serious. And he was like, no. I know, right? He goes, well, first he goes, no. And then he goes, well, but I'm an area, so I would have to go to work. And I was like, would you leave me by by myself? (laughs) Seriously. And he goes, well, I could just work from there, you know? And I'm like, because this is disturbing me so bad right now. And I think about these patients at the hospital and how vulnerable they are. And it's just, it's making me sick because it's not fair. Like right now, people have, well, for most hospitals, I think they're allowing like one family member. And at least there's that. But that one person can't be there 24-7. At some point, they, you know, have to leave and go home and take care of things that people have to take care of. Mm-hmm. And so, this scares the crap out of me. It really does. It's just so frightening. Yeah, I mean, like, you, you kind of would expect, like, I guess, long-term, long-term care patients, like dementia, who are just difficult, but little babies, you know? I don't know if there's if it's that common to have you know patient abuse. Anyways, I don't know. I, gosh, I hope not. But yeah, we have done stories of people that have abused patients in long term care facilities, and those are disturbing enough. The thought of yeah those poor vulnerable people and how people take advantage of them, the things that's been done to them, that's scary enough. But yeah, to think of a little Mm. child 
that hasn't ever done anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. So they did kind of zero in pretty quickly on one nurse that seemed to be a common denominator, and that nurse was Christopher Kafayam. He had worked for Meritor Hospital for over 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Oh. He had just recently been assigned to, to work in the NICU, October of 2016. So he hadn't worked in the NICU the whole time. I guess they assigned him there, and he was working night shift. So... Mm. The doctor said that Kafim had not reported any of the injuries that were found on the infants and that it was the day shift nurses the next day who would first report them. And so they found it interesting that, you know, why would he not have noticed? Hmm. Um, and it was always the next day that those nurses were the ones that saw it and said something to the physicians like, hey, this is odd. Look at these bruises, you know? So Detective Sochgen began interviewing parents and the hospital began to investigate records of infants that were cared for by Kafayam. Mm-hmm. And one mother told the detective that her baby was fine when she left the night before, but when she returned the next morning, that the baby looked like it had been in a cat fight with bruises and red marks. Oh all my over. gosh. So, and when I read that, I just thought, I've never worked in peds. I don't know anything about children like as far as caring for them in a hospital i think the youngest person i've ever cared for was 15 and that was a trauma you know a car accident so mm-hmm. it's i don't know what's normal but i do know that like for the patients that i care for it isn't unusual for a family member to come in and be like what in the world is wrong what happened because their arms are like all bruised and everything from us trying to start an iv and they're just they have their veins are not good and Mm -hmm. that's not at all unusual so i don't know what what it looked like or what it appeared to be maybe the mom was thinking that like wow this this looks terrible but she doesn't know Mm -hmm. what's normal you know so the hospital's yeah, true. yeah. So the hospital's investigation turned up another infant. This was infant three who was found to have oh healing skeletal fractures. So they were doing their investigations, and I guess they go and start doing some like X-rays and that sort of thing, and they find oh, old fractures from from these oh infants. Oh my gosh! So the hospital established a hotline for parents to call with concerns. And then over the next several months, Dr. Knox, that the pediatric child abuse expert, examined approximately 40 infants who had been patients in the NICU. And she reviewed- 40? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my, four zero. I know, 40. She reviewed medical records. She interviewed parents. She reviewed photographs and video footage. She also ruled out medical causes that of that the injuries, you know, by possibly, um, I mean, I guess thinking, well, just in case there's a chance that these things were caused by some sort of a medical problem, she conducted additional radiolog- radiological exams and labs and that sort of thing to just rule that out. So after the investigation was done, the injuries found on, on the approximately 40 infants included rib, humerus, femur, radial, ulnar, tibia, fibula, and skull fractures. And there are people that listen to to this podcast, which kind of surprised me when I, but I've gotten enough emails from people to realize that there there are quite a few who are not medical. So just to let you know, 
the humerus is kind of that upper long bone of the arm. The femur is that big, long, yeah, there you go, Mike. And that big, long, thick bone, it's very difficult. Now in a, in a little NICU baby, maybe not as difficult, but generally, yeah. yeah, generally is not an easy bone to break. The radial and ulnar, those are the, the two, two bones. You got two bones in your arm. And then the ulnar, or, or sorry, the tibia and the fibula, those are the tib-fib bones in the lower, those are where your calf is, that lower part of your leg. And then obviously we know what the skull is. So the, all of those bone fractures were found in all of these different infants. Bruising on bilateral forearms, we say bilateral. I always have to, uh, people remind me all the time, like people don't know what you're saying. So bilateral, it just means both sides. So bilateral forearms, wrists, palms, elbows, cheeks, upper and lower eyelids, and bilateral lower legs, bruising all over. Significant infiltration of an IV site with excoriations. Excoriations just sort of like red, irritated skin, usually from moisture. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, and it sort of starts peeling back. That very top thin layer of skin starts to sort of peel back. It's like real red and irritated. That's what excoriation is. Swelling. Like a blister kind of. Yeah. And that's consistent with medical neglect. So, and the concern mm -hmm. there... Yeah, concern there was that there might be intentional administration of, of fluid or even caustic fluid through an infiltrated IV site. In other words, like deliberately manipulating an IV so that it isn't going into the vein, it's actually going into the tissue and then deliberately administering some sort of, of fluid. There's a lot, There are actually lots of medications that we put into people's IVs that... If mm -hmm. it's not in the actual vein and it's going into the tissue, it can damage permanently someone's arm. So, yeah, extravasation for sure. Yeah, extravasation is what it's called. And it's, it's very serious. And it's one of the reasons why it's so important for nurses to assess their patients' IV sites every time they go into the room, especially if they have something like potassium. Uh, going through oh, it, yeah. That, yeah, vasopressors, things that can be extremely Dopamine for sure. Yeah, things are just can be extremely viscous to that area, and just absolutely rip through that tissue and destroy an ent entire section, you know, of your arm. I mean, if you look that up, you can see some absolute horror stories that have happened to people where if their IV infiltrated and like potassium is terrible for it. Terrible. Uh, Something else that's really bad is Finergan. Yeah. Finergan will absolutely eat through your skin. So, really? yes, it's awful. Like, just FYI, side note, Tina Tangent, if you are administering yeah. Finergan, please make sure you're doing that through a large vein. Don't ever put Finergan in someone's hand. That is a terrible idea. I'm just telling I'm you. I'm looking it up right now. It looks like a burn patient. Yeah. Like gangrene, like their hands are black. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. And I, th I, I think it's one of those things like we learn in nursing school and then sometimes nurses forget because you go, you just start working and you just get used to it. And all of a sudden you get an order for Finnergan. There's a reason that they don't order that a lot. And it's because it's a dangerous medicine. It's not, it's not anything to be taken lightly. And potassium is the same thing that patients will complain and scream like it burns. It's, it's just a, a really difficult infusion for patients. Mm -hmm. So Dang. what they're thinking is that possibly this nurse, God, I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to call him that, but he was possibly 
deliberately causing their IV to infiltrate and then administering fluid like that. I mean, it's just hard to even imagine how disgusting someone could be to do something like that to a little Why, bitty. though? That's just, oh my gosh. I just what kind of monster do you have to be? I can't imagine. Like, I just can't even imagine. So Dr. Knox, the, the pediatric expert on child abuse, concluded in all of these cases that there was no medical explanation for any of the injuries other than mm-hmm. trauma. And, you know, these are little NICU babies. There is no reason for them to, they're not going to, they don't roll over. They don't, they don't move yeah. around. They don't bump their head. They don't fall. But There's They don't no have to excuse. call light to make you mad. Like, no. What? What? Like, no, I know. So when coworkers were asked about Kafayim, they said he generally stayed to himself. They also said that he often closed the door to the infant's rooms when he checked on them. He would ignore alarms never asked for help, and once said that he mm. was happy to work with infants because he didn't have to deal with patients talking back to him. Now, I occasionally, <laughs> a, a lot actually, see people say things like this, like <laughs> I I like working in the ICU because the patient don't, doesn't talk back. Number one, I work in the ICU and I have lots of patients that talk back. It's, I, don't, I don't even know, like you don't, all your patients... If you work in an ICU and all your patients are intubated and sedated, I don't understand, like, where are you? Because that's not the case. I work in a level one trauma center and on a CVICU. I have plenty of patients that are not intubated and sedated all the time. You, That's not the only reason why somebody's in an ICU. But anyway, <laughs> so I guess he likes infants because they can't talk back. But... Mm. I guess he didn't like that they would cry and he didn't, he wasn't crazy about parents who would then complain to him, you know, or ask him to like clean up their baby or something. And then like uh shaken baby syndrome, oh, but gosh. to the extreme. Exactly. Like, uh, I don't understand it. So Meritor suspended Kafayam on February the 8th, 2018 so it didn't take long for them. They acted very swiftly, as you can imagine. And state regulators later suspended his license, of course. And Kavine was brought in for questioning. When interviewed by police, the, he said he remembered the two children that they were there because they, they kind of focused in on two specifically that they had a lot of details. They were the most recent. And so they, they had all the information there. The bruises were still there. Mm-hmm. The fractures were still you know, the, all of it was still fresh enough that they could hone in on, on those two specifically because they were the strongest case. And so those were the two that they, they were sort of asking him about. And mm-hmm. he said, I don't take it out on babies. He said that I understand I'm one of the common denominators and I feel like I'm being targeted. So that's what he said to them yeah. when they approached him. He said he'd never lost his school. I saw the uh, the uh, what was it documentary on Ted Bundy you know, with Zac Efron. I don't know if you've seen that one, but it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. But man, he played such a good part, like so convincing, like maintaining innocence. I think that's what like psychopaths do. They're just like, oh, I'm innocent. I feel like you're adding up all the evidence to make me feel, you know, targeted. Mm-hmm. And I don't like these people are really like deranged. Like they they can make someone believe that they didn't do it, and it's like. What? Yeah. Like, dude, the whole time. And never, never anyway. break, you know, never break character. So the centers, yeah. yeah. So this, 
I know it's hard to understand, but they're just in a different mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. So the Center Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services inspected the hospital days after it suspended Kefayim in February 2018 and issued a scathing report saying the facility didn't do enough to prevent the injuries. The thing that came to my brain as soon as I read this was the case of the nurse in Nashville who was arrested because the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services went in and issued a scathing report to the hospital and basically threatened to remove them as a client. Basically said they were not uh, going to pay them anymore. And so mm. they were going to lose like a fifth of their funding. And so when I read that, I kind of rolled my eyes like, you know, I don't know. I yeah. feel like they are kind of bullies and they come in and they, this clearly, it was necessary. And I and I guess I, yeah. it, it's necessary and I'm glad they did it. But at the same time, I feel like they could do this in a lot of other situations where the nurse is, should not be treated like a criminal for, for what happened. Yeah. And this is a perfect opportunity for the, the hospital to throw the nurse under the bus because someone mm-hmm. has to pay for it. And it's certainly not going to be the hospital. But in this case, good on you, Center for Medicaid, CMS. Yeah, go. yeah. The failure was so serious, it constituted an immediate threat to patient health safety and the hospital's Medicare contract could be terminated if the problem isn't fixed, the report said. So the hospital issued a statement offering several improvements. And this is what happens. You know, this happens. You get The hospital gets investigated and then they are told basically given an ultimatum, you get these things fixed or there's going to be major consequences, financial consequences, and nothing will mm-hmm. make a hospital jump and say, you know, how high do I need to jump? Like, we're going to remove your funding. And so oh yeah, they uh, installed around-the-clock video monitoring in all infant intensive care unit rooms and made several other changes uh, to try to improve the safety of those children, which is great. I love that. So, Kefayim mm-hmm. eventually pled guilty to the charges, not wanting to suffer further humiliation by a trial that would obviously end with him being found guilty. And he would not offer any other explanation as to why he did what he did. A few of the parents reported negative interactions with him, including asking him to clean the infant up after an accident or a leaking NG tube. One parent remembered asking Kafim to clean up the baby's crib because it was soaked because his NG tube had been leaking. And he remembered Kafim saying that it wasn't that bad and that he would get to it later. Huh. So you guys listening, I don't know if you have ever experienced this before or not, but I think that we have all at one time or another kind of experienced this where you sort of see the nurse who something like that might happen and you're just like, like, are you going to do something? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, you're just like, seriously like let them sit there like that. And so, not everyone jumps to like do something right away. Like if you walk in your patient's room and you see they're like laying in, you know, they had an accident or whatever, you're going to like run and get the linens and change. You're not going to let them lay there like that. Then the other people might be like, I got other stuff to do, like scroll on my phone at the nurse's station, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he was a scroll on my phone at the nurse's station kind of a guy. So, oh man. Yeah. So in September of 2019, he pled guilty to 19 felony accounts, all of the charges, all of the charges that he originally faced. 19. The crazy part is he pled guilty. Like, 
Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the weirdest part. Like usually these people like, you know, will maintain their innocence until the very end. So, hmm. Yeah. And I think that he did not want, because this man had has a family and children and he did not want all of these details coming out publicly in, in court. So mm-hmm. I guess he just wanted, wanted it all to go away. And so uh, some of those charges were child abuse, child neglect, patient abuse. And that's, that's pretty much it. His defense attorney asked for a two-year prison sentence. He said that he also doesn't know why Kafim did what he did. But he said that it was likely deep-rooted mental health issues. Just two years? That's what the defense attorney was asking for. Oh, okay, okay. I'm so, like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. Parents of the infant said they had already been dealing with guilt over leaving the babies at the hospital, period. Just because, you know, you, you have a baby and babies are supposed to come home when you come home. You know, you have a baby mm-hmm. and you're released from the hospital, but the baby stays. So then you're exhausted because you just had a freaking baby and yeah. you can't, you like, you have to get rest. You can't just be there 24 seven. And so the parents occasionally would go home to rest and then come back. And this piece of garbage is the one there at night, which is when usually the parents, I guess, would go home to rest. And uh, so they were already feeling guilty for just leaving to go home, heaven forbid, and rest. And then they find out that this happened and it was just really unbearable for a lot of them. You know, they just said that they could not stop thinking about it. The fact that they could have just, if they had just stayed there, they could have prevented it because clearly he wouldn't do that in front of them. I can't imagine. Like they said, it would just play would play it over and over and over in their head. Yeah, they couldn't like stop thinking about it. it. Like I left my kid there, and now we got. And 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 you expect, you know, oh yeah, you know, I have a family member or a baby that's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You feel like, oh, that's the safe place, right? You it should be. Mm-hmm. So apparently, a teary-eyed Kafiam read a statement at his hearing. He said, "If." that he was so ashamed of what he had done that he had asked that none of his family or friends come to court that day. And his statement, he said, none of what I'm feeling, however, can come close to the myriad of emotions and states of mind experienced by the families here today. And he said, you put your trust in me to care for your most precious loved ones and I failed you. The anguish I've caused is something no parent should ever have to endure. So my thing is anybody who is capable of acting the way he did and doing the things that he did to little tiny fragile infants that are just there's literally it's impossible for them to have done anything to him as he's he's yeah. not ashamed of what he did he's in, he's ashamed and humiliated that he got caught and it's aired yeah. in front and that they have seen him for who he really is that he got caught exactly right. That's the craziest part to me is that he probably has either like anger management issues or, I mean, I'm, why the little babies? Why wasn't it with like, you know, his adult patients? Because yeah. he was he was new to the baby section. So And, hmm. and also I feel like, because he, he will spend 13 years in prison for what he did. And then mm-hmm. he'll have seven years of supervised probation. 
And then when he's released, he is not going to be allowed to work as a nurse or caregiver again and will not be allowed contact with anyone under the age of 18 with the exception of his own children. But I I feel like they're, I don't know if this is an oversight or if it's just there's nothing they could do about it. But do you not think that there were babies that probably died because of abuse that went undetected? Because those yeah. babies, they would have, if, the, if, if he did that and then the baby died, for example, he, the baby that had the hemorrhage in the back of the head, that baby could have easily died and then it would have been buried. And as far as I know, they didn't investigate any babies that passed away. So mm. it's kind of hard for me to believe that he did all that he did to 40 babies and didn't cause any deaths. Yeah, or like permanent damage, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine giving someone brain damage as a baby, like a preemie baby for sure. Mm-hmm. So I just feel like there had to be more that went undetected that they just, they weren't able to find them because they just went undetected until, you know, the ones that they came across were ones that were more obvious, but not as bad that weren't, you know, they weren't fatal. Thank goodness. But I just have a hard time believing that he did not cause the death of some baby. In the oh, head. yeah. And even just like, sheesh. But how do you do that to like a bit? Ba- and how does he have children? That's my question. It's like, I know. And it just also makes him, he's been a nurse for 14 years. So he all of a sudden decided to act this way toward infants. He was yeah, caring what? for. Yeah. And I, I don't know what kind of nurse he was before he started. Because I feel like if you were a nurse, I feel like you'd have to be like in pediatric ICU or something for them to have put him in NICU, right? Like, I don't feel like they're going to just take me that's used to dealing with, you know, full, full grown adults and just stick me in the NICU, right? I mean, I, yeah, sure I mean, like, hope not. There should have been a trend. I, I wonder if there's like a history of him doing this that never got caught. You know? That's what I wonder. I seriously, because I mean, he's been a nurse for 14 years and all of a sudden he gets transferred to, to the NICU. And it makes me wonder if maybe mm-hmm. if he was taking care of of older children, but still children nonetheless, like working in a pediatric ICU. For them to place him yeah. in the NICU, I feel like he probably worked in a pediatric ICU before. It, it didn't say that, but it's it almost has to be. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put him there. And I, I guess there probably were other children who were vulnerable in that situation. And I just wonder, you know, did they go back and look at the children that he took care of? Or is it, has it been too long? Or I don't know. I just feel like yeah. there could have been further investigation into this. 13 years is not that long. If, if especially if you cause the death of one of these of, of a child, you know. I know. I'm looking like uh, at the hospital and like online about images and stuff, and I'm like, dang, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's like the first rule, right? Like to cause no harm, right? The uh, Hippocrates uh, mm-hmm. oath, or whatever it is. I know. Well, I, I told you guys it was a particularly disturbing story, and it's one that. I do feel like needs to be told. Even if people that are listening, if you're not even in healthcare or if you are, but you know, there's a lot of young nurses that listen to this podcast that'll be having children one day. Just to kind of let you know that you really cannot trust people. I hate to say that, but you can't. People are, there are some horrible people out there and they look just like everybody else. They do. Yeah. So we have to do everything we can to protect. And, and you know, if you're a nurse, because some of these other nurses, 
who've been uh, in the NICU for a long time, they said that he was kind of strange, you know, and that they did think it was odd. One nurse said that, you know, there was a night when she heard an alarm go off and she looked up and a, the baby's heart rate was like in the 200s. And so she went up, the, the door was closed and she went over there to check on the baby. She opened the door and walked in. And at first she didn't notice, but he was actually in there. He was standing in there and it was dark because he didn't turn the lights on when he went into the patient's room. So he's in the room with the lights off. And then she noticed, oh, he was standing there and he had a, a scale in his hand, like a, a scale that you would weigh the baby with. And the baby's heart rate is sitting there in the 200s. And she just said, oh, hey, do you need help? And he said, no. And so she left because, you know, like that people, ha- it's, people are kind of territorial, you know, when it comes to their patients. It's like, well, this is my patient. I'm good. Leave me alone. They don't want anybody stepping in on their turf. And so it can get awkward sometimes, especially in ICU mm-hmm. area, areas, you know. Oh, yeah. But, I, and I say this too all the time on this podcast, when you're working on a floor, every patient on that floor, I'm not saying you're responsible for every patient on the floor, but at the same time, you're a nurse and they're a patient and you don't know who could, you know, be doing what to some patient. And if you see something weird, you cannot be mm-hmm. afraid to stand up and say something. Like, you say something like that, go to your charge nurse, go to your team leader and go to your nurse manager and just be like, you know, every time he goes into a patient's room, he closes the door. Why? Why is that necessary? You have to be like a nurse advocate, Mm -hmm. like or a patient advocate, what I should say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For everyone, not just your patients. There's so many wonderful nurses and you take great, wonderful, perfect, excellent care of your patients. But then you look around and you're just like, oh my gosh, that nurse is terrible. Like, step up and advocate for those patients by saying something to your boss, saying something to that nurse's boss and supervisor. Because if you don't bring it to their attention, they may not know, you know? So, gosh, I'm sorry. It's a terrible story. Kind of a downer. Okay. And the, yeah, the next story isn't that uh, much better, but hey, you know what? <laughs> no, look, the next story. So that was our bad nurse story. It was awful and depressing, but educational yeah, and informational so nonetheless. Good. We got past it. And the good nurse story, it, it is, I mean, it's a bad story in that like what happened, but at the same time, it is about a nurse who, who stood up for herself and did something that wasn't necessarily easy to do. This is about Tanya Battle. She's a nurse who worked for nearly 25 years in the NICU. So, you know, you know, I if I can, I try to like try to find someone for the good story that's sort of like in a, in a similar profession. And I just happened to find this nurse who worked in the neonatal intensive care unit. She worked at Hurley Medical Center in Flint, Michigan and for, for nearly 25 years. And she sued the hospital because she said it caused emotional distress mental anguish, humiliation, and damage to her reputation. Mm-hmm. So according to her, she said that she was working as a registered nurse in Hurley's neonatal intensive care unit on October 31st when a man walked into the NICU and she said she was standing at the infant's bedside and the man reached for the baby. I, when I read that, I was like, that's an interesting like a visual when I think about it because like that's his baby, right? Like yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's the parent, so he's going to be protective. But as the nurse, you are also responsible for that baby. That's your patient. And 
you have to be sure, like, who is this person? You don't know him. You yeah, don't he was know. Yeah, man reaching for this baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's being protective. She said, I introduced myself to him. She said, I said, hi, I'm Tanya. I'm taking care of your baby. Can I see your identification band? I feel like that's a perfectly rational and acceptable question, reasonable question yeah. to ask. And she said that he said in return, and I need to see your supervisor. So she was kind of startled and confused, you know, when when that happened because she, I, I just, you know, she said, I just met him. I couldn't imagine what the problem could possibly be. I, we just met. So she got the charge mm-hmm. nurse and then the charge nurse goes over and talked to the father separately from, from nurse battle. And then the charge nurse came back and told battle that the father didn't want any black nurses caring for his baby. I don't even know if I said this, but... Tanya Battle is black. So the charge nurse also told Battle that he had, that this baby's father had rolled up his sleeve and showed her a tattoo of a swastika on his arm. Oh, crap. Now, understandably, right. I mean, understandably, Mm. Battle was completely shocked when she heard this. She's just standing there flabbergasted. She said, I felt like I froze. And she said, I was just really dumbfounded. I couldn't believe... That's why he was so angry, and that's why he was requesting my charge nurse. Um, she said, I think my howl, my mouth hit the floor, and I, it was really just disbelief. So the charge nurse brought the incident to the attention of her manager, and then Battle was removed from caring for the infant and assigned a different patient. This is the best part. You're like, so I'm reading this, this story, and I'm not... I'm not totally, I wouldn't say I'm totally shocked that there's some moron yeah. out there who would act like this because there's just, there just yeah, are ignorant people. Stuff. Yeah. There just yeah. are. Not at all surprising. But yeah. the response from the but charge the, nurse is what got my mouth to drop to the floor. I was just like, well, what? <laughs> well, Seriously? what are you supposed to do in that situation, right? Like, what is the charge nurse supposed to do? Like, do so, they talk? Yeah. I'm glad you asked that, Mike, because I actually was a team leader, charge nurse for a year and a okay. half um, yeah. before I moved to CVICU. And the the way that, and, and I actually have been put in this situation before, believe it or not, I live in the beautiful, wonderful, oh. gorgeous state of Tennessee in the South. <laughs> now this happened in Michigan, okay? But, yeah. but it's Michigan. not, I, I wouldn't say that it's common for something like this to happen, but it happens because yeah. people are just ignorant. And what I would do in this situation if this literal actual thing happened is that I would ask the nurse, the CNA, the whoever, the staff member, I would ask them, how do you feel about caring, continuing to care for this patient? So mm-hmm. in this case, this is a a baby that the nurse is caring for. The patient is actually not the person who was complaining. You know, it's it's the uh, the parent. But to me, it's sort of the same thing because the parent is definitely an extension of the child. And so are you as the nurse comfortable being in this situation, having to go in this room every time, you know, to pass meds and having to deal with this confrontation, having to deal with this idiot acting like this or being hostile or possibly even accusing you of doing something that you didn't do just because they don't like you because of the way mm-hmm. you look or some attribute like that. Yeah. So I would totally leave it up to them. Like, what do you want to do? Because I'm not going to honor their wishes 
just because that's what they want because no, I'm not doing that. And then if the nurse, you know, would be like, you know, I'm not comfortable in this situation. I'd rather just just change. Um, then I would honor that. But if the nurse was like, this isn't fair. I have taken excellent care of this patient and I would like to continue to take care of them. It's not it's not right. Then I just feel like, well, then continue to take care of them. And if they really? don't like it, they can leave. I mean, wow. now I would have to say that um, if this were this big of an issue, I think a charge nurse or a team leader would have to go to their nurse manager they or yeah. the, the house supervisor. You can't just kind of carry this whole burden on your own shoulders. It's, this is a big deal. And these are, this is just, these are huge implications here, you know, of what can happen in the way that you handle the situation. But that would be my instinct of how to handle it. I don't feel like it would be right to tell the, the nurse like, oh, I'm sorry, this person doesn't want you taking care of them and then, you know, removing them from their care. That's just my personal yeah. opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've never dealt with like a racist person in mm -hmm. like the ER, but mm -hmm. I have dealt with like an elderly, like kind of like church lady who didn't want the nurse who had tattoos to take care of her or piercing like on her nose. Mm -hmm. And then this other Middle Eastern, I think Muslim grandmother who didn't really speak English that well. There was a gay male nurse taking care of her and she's like, I don't want him to take care of her. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Really now I have had, okay, I will say I've had, mm, I've had people who requested not to have male nurses, female patients mm -hmm. request to not have male nurses take care of them because of religious beliefs. And yeah. I, I feel like that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, that's not necessarily like, I don't like you for who you are. It's like my religious beliefs, it, and it violates mm -hmm. that. So that's, I do feel like that's different, and I feel and and what I did in that case is, I just because uh, in the in the case really in every case it's usually not a problem, but if the CNA is like ever it's like the CNA is like male, then I would just feel like I'll go in there, you know, like don't we're not going to send a male in there. I, that's just wrong anyway. I don't. I feel like if a female is like I'm not comfortable with a male coming in, or vice versa. Although I've never seen that happen before. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't. Just I'm saying, not I have. With a uh, female, I want a male. Usually, it's the other way around with male. Like men are not comfortable with other men. You know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. Whole weird dynamic. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah. But I, I don't know. That's a different dynamic because it's not like I'm. It's not like they're looking at that person like I don't like you because of this. It's it's violating my religion. You know. Yeah, I'm wondering if this guy would say like you know. I'm a neo-Nazi. I had my religion. I have no black nurses or no Jewish nurses, kind of thing. Like that would be a plot twist. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm throwing a zinger at you. Tina. No, it's not but a zinger at all like, because I'm calling total BS on that. That's just stupid. But okay, <laughs> either either way, it's like hospital policy. I feel that mm -hmm. like you know the customer is always right. Like the patient has to be right. Whatever. So the, the, this charge nurse did the right thing, right? She, like she told her manager about it. And so. Yeah. But did the manager do the right thing? Because what happened is a post-it note. Know, like, a post-it note was put on the patient's chart that said. This is weird. This is weird. Yeah. No black nurses are to be assigned to care for this patient. Yeah. I looked it up online and I see the actual note. 
where it looks like a fifth grader or like a junior, I don't know, elementary school writing. It's so weird. I'm like, did we just like drop into a wormhole and go back to like a hundred years or something? What is going on? What? Are you serious? I don't understand. No African-American nurses to take care of baby. Mm. Well, I guess. And the thing is, when it was sort of run by, I guess, experts of like, constitutional rights and what is acceptable and what's not acceptable, Mm -hmm. there was some controversy as to whether or not someone is allowed to request to not have, you know, someone of one race or another take care of them. So I guess if someone that was African-American came in and said, I don't want a white person to take care of me, or I don't want an Hispanic person to take care of me. In a lot of cases, it would be really difficult because someone who is African-American would probably not have that option in most places in the, in the, in America, because there are very few, the percentage of people of color who are in healthcare are really low, or at least that are Mm -hmm. nurses. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it would, it would be really difficult to tell someone who is African-American, like, yeah, okay, we'll go get you someone who's African-American because it's very well uh, likely that there isn't a nurse that would be able to take care of them if they didn't want someone who was white. Because yeah. that's just the way it is. And I literally just got through recording an episode with someone from the University of Portland School of Nursing who we were talking about this and the percentage of people of color, not just African-Americans, you put them all together and I think it's like 16% of people mm. who are who are nurses. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So where it wouldn't be difficult maybe for a a white someone who's white to say I don't want you taking care of me or my family member because you're a person of color I guess that it would be easier to then go find someone else to take care of that person now yeah we've talked about this too like the whole male female thing because there are a lot of females who don't who are not comfortable having male nurses taking care of them or husbands who don't want male nurses taking care of their wives, you know, that kind of thing, especially in religious situations. Sometimes in ICUs, there are a lot of male nurses. So this is something that I feel like does need to be addressed. I don't know, what what are you supposed to do if you don't have someone else? I don't know, but that that's, I guess that's a real big question is like, do patients have the right to say they don't want a certain nurse taking care of them, regardless of the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, or or do they just sign out AMA? Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is like a racial issue, mm-hmm. which, you know, politically and like values-wise across the nation shouldn't be stood for. But at the same time, do what's the legality of it all, right? Like, does a hospital have to take care of a patient regardless of their, I don't know. Regardless of their views, I don't know. Yeah, and I think that, see, the way nurses are is like that nurse, that African-American nurse, I'm sure, like regardless, if that man himself were a patient in the hospital, that nurse would probably give, I'm sure, give him the absolute best care she possibly could. And that's the bad thing. Nurses are going to take care of anybody, but the patients come into the hospital and they act like total well, this is yeah. better, so we don't say bad words on this. But this is where I'm, one time when I'm really tempted to say one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what so, about like okay? What about like a nurse refusing to take care of like a male patient, or like I don't know? Is that 
I mean, that'll I'm, be a, like a yeah, that'll be the other side of the story. I mean, I just feel like you just you don't go into nursing like if you have a problem with. To me, if you have a problem with taking care of any type of a patient whatsoever, don't go into nursing. Don't go into bedside nursing because you don't know what's going to come through the door. I tell people all the time, like, if you think that you don't want to be a psych nurse, don't go into bedside nursing because you are going to be a psych nurse because you're going to deal with psych issues all the time. And it's important Mm -hmm. that you understand that. And even me, like, I didn't want to be a peds nurse. I did not want to take care of children. And then here I am. I don't want to be an OB nurse. And then I'm sitting here on CBICU and I get a patient who just had a baby and I'm just like, what the heck? And they're like, yeah, stop and think about it. This patient can't be in uh, on a, you know an OB floor. Those nurses are not trained to deal with this, this, the, these things. And I'm just like, well, darn it. Oh. I didn't think about that. So then I get a 15-year-old trauma patient, you know, motor vehicle oh, crash. Oh. And I'm like, darn it. I didn't think this through. I said, I didn't want to be a peds nurse, but, and it's, it's different. Like I'm not a peds nurse, but at the same time, like having to deal with the dynamics of children and like a, t- a teenage kid that's been in a car accident and stuff, it's heavy, you know, and I didn't want to deal with it. And then it's like, you really got to think this stuff through because if you're a nurse working at the bedside, you don't have the choice to just be like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to take care of that person. You got to take care of whoever comes through the door you can't just yeah. turn. You can't just say I'm not going to take care of them. You got to like, turn. No, not this one. It's mm-hmm. like it's not tender, guys. You have to take care of. Everything. Yeah, swipe left or swipe right. Yeah, like, I get no, this not one. This one not I don't that one, like yeah. the way that he looks. Oh, eh. I mean, he looks pretty nice. I guess so. Like you can't do yeah. that. You got to take care of whoever comes through the door. You can't think about. We get inmates a lot at our hospital. It happens. They're handcuffed to the bed with a security with their police officer beside them. And some nurses are uncomfortable, you know, and they're just like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I wonder what he did. Don't think about it. You can't think about that. They're handcuffed to the bed. You have a police officer beside them. They're not going to hurt you. Um, yeah. Don't think about it. They're a patient. Don't think of them those, as an inmate. Those are my favorite patients, to be honest. Really? Because like we build a rapport together. And I'm like, dude, this is a vacation for you. You're mm-hmm. out of the jail or prison, whatever. Yeah. And you know what? Like we used to, in the ER, we used to get a lot of chest pain patients from from the uh, prison on Super Bowl weekend. Oh man! So, <laughs> all the time. Oh man! Everyone like watch. wants to go to the hospital to watch TV. They get their own personal TV, their own bed, blanket, and yeah. That's funny. I've yeah, yeah. never thought about that. All right, all right. Anyways, back to the story. Back to the story. Well, the thing is, I, I think I think the sign and the post it. Uh huh. That's on Google image right here. Mm-hmm. You just have to type in Tanya Battle Nurse. And what the crap was everyone thinking? Like, why would they post that on the nursing chart? Mm, it didn't stay on there very no long, apparently. Nurses. Like, they jerked it off real fast. Like, someone had some sense and went, what? And took it off. But clearly, someone put it on there. And then once it once a picture was taken of it, it's forever going to be there. Yeah. So, it was removed after only being there a short time. But even though they took it off, Tanya Battle and other black nurses were still not assigned to care for that baby. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I And my just kind of knee-jerk reaction about that is that it's so offensive and unfair. I mean, I feel like giving the nurse the option, you know, and just saying, you know, 
going into it, understand that this is how this baby's father feels. So if it makes you uncomfortable, you don't have to be assigned to this this infant and, you know, giving them the option because that could be a really uncomfortable situation, you know? What if there's like like a hospital policy out there though that mm-hmm. says like the I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna ask my my house supervisor friends too. Mm-hmm. If there's like a hospital policy that says like patients have the right to mm-hmm. request whatever they want to request, I guess I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there if maybe it's like a state to state thing, hospital to hospital thing. If if that is even something that's within the rights of like people to to say, I don't want someone to take care of me based on the color of their skin or their orientation. Like, is that even addressed somewhere? Maybe it's not. I don't know. Because you're not denying that Mm. person the right to work because you're giving, you are assigning them another patient. At the same time, I find it disgusting that they fed into the beliefs because to me, it sort of says that that, uh, it validates it. And I don't think that those belief systems should ever be validated because there's no case, there's just no scenario in which that that would ever be justified ever mm, yeah so True. that's just my opinion about it and you guys you know might disagree with me and you have the right to disagree i'm i'm 100% for everybody you know talking about things and airing your opinions and being able to disagree with each other openly and professionally and not argue about things. You know, we just got through having a major election in which I'm always real careful not to talk about politics on this show. But it's just ugly when everybody's just like, I'm on this side and you're on that side and they don't Mm. want to talk about their differences because it's not healthy. If you don't talk about things, you know, you're going to get someone else to understand your side of the story. And I'm looking all this up right now. It was in 2014. I bet you there's so many hospital policies now mm-hmm. because the hospital had to pay a big chunk of money. So anyways, let's let's continue the story. Well, she said that she felt the issue was important enough to pursue the matter legally because she expected that they would have turned down the request. She said that the, what flashed in her mind is what's next, a note on the water fountain that says no blacks or a note in the bathroom that says no blacks. Like, did people have the right to say, oh, I don't want to use the same bathroom as someone else based on what they look like? Or mm. I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, where do you draw this line? Of course, you can't have signs like that. Yeah. We, we're way beyond that. But Larry Dubin, a law professor at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law, said that the actions of the hospital was morally repugnant said the patient's father has the right to select the hospital to treat the child. The father does not have the right to exercise control over the hospital and discrimination of its employees. The case put uh, into tension two different facets of the law. An associate professor that specializes in health law at Wayne State University Law School said, that was Lance Gable, patients choose their doctors. He said, some women prefer to see female gynecologists, for example. I mean, another, another example of that. But there are always laws prohibiting discrimination, citing that the 1964 Civil Rights Act, among, among others. The bottom line is that the law is not clear about this, though I suspect the nurse will have a pretty strong case. And that's what that guy said, who was an expert in the law in these matters. And one in three doctors in 2007, in a 2007 survey, said that they felt patients believed they got better care if they matched their doctor's race. Patients' requests were more likely to be honored if the request came from someone who was female, non-white, or Muslim. 
according to a report on the survey written in part by a University of Michigan researcher. So, I mean, that's kind of the opposite side of the coin. But so just how often hospitals receive requests based on race, they don't really know that. A spokeswoman for Children's Hospital of Michigan said the hospital may try to accommodate a patient's request for providers with a certain religion or gender, but a request for a doctor based on race is different. She said it's come up in the past, but generally speaking, we don't accommodate that. We have a very diverse population and we just don't feel, we just don't feed into those kinds of beliefs. Um, And then it says Julie uh, Gafke, an employment discrimination and civil rights lawyer in uh, Frankenmuth, Michigan, who is representing Battle, said medical personnel might receive such requests from time to time, but employers must guard against racial discrimination. She said, I don't doubt that people have made requests like this in the past. You're not going to control the prejudices and biases of people. That's not my client's issue. The problem she has is that her employer of 25 years granted the request. So the hospital issued a statement that said the father was told his request could not be granted, but that the man's swastika tattoo created anger and outrage among the staff. Additionally, supervisors worried about the staff's safety. So her husband, Richard Battle, said the couple was relieved when they were able to reach a settlement with the hospital and hoped to put the incident behind them. He said she was devastated by the note. She's not the kind of person to make a big deal about things. And... um, he said, we, we left the meeting and everybody was satisfied. And he added that he could not disclose the contents of the settlement. So they were able to come to an agreement, but just bringing this, um, even just bringing this to light and having people talk about it, because I would say that this sort of thing happens a lot. It probably happens all the time mm-hmm. and it just sort of gets handled. And then the nurse just goes on and takes the other patient and just is like, well, oh, well, that's just the way it is. But, you know, she did, she stepped up. And this was, I'm sure, very stressful for her to deal with. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly to your point. Like, how many times does this happen Mm -hmm. that, you know, doesn't get reported or anything? It's just like, what if I would have shrugged their shoulders and kind of moved on? I'm like, all right. Interesting, right? Well, it really is, uh, you know, the thing is that we do have limited staff at at hospitals all across the country right now. We're in a severe staffing shortage. It's it's a mess everywhere. There just are not enough nurses. There are not enough CNAs. There are not enough anybody anywhere. And we're just in a crisis when it comes to patient care. And I know this happened a few years ago before COVID and everything, but still, I think people need to understand, like, be nice to the people that are taking care of you and your patient and your family members, you know? Yeah. I'm looking at it. Apparently the hospital paid $65,000 to settle it. And they were saying that the legal fees were like over 200000 So obviously like... Wow. That actually doesn't sound like that much money. Yeah. It's not really that like, right? I think it was like more based on how the hospital handled it. And dude, there's probably so much policy now backed mm-hmm. by this hospital and you know, other hospitals are probably hitting the copy-paste button on that policy. Yeah. Because, you know, hospitals only react, just like you said, to the uh, to the money issue, right? Like, there'll be a policy if someone dies or if they yeah. lose money. <laughs> it's true. Which is fortunate. But, but, it is true. Yeah. Well, I guess that wraps it up for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Thank you so much, yeah. Mike, for coming on. Remind everybody where they can find your awesome material, your uh, program. 
Yeah, we. Uh, you guys can find me at simplenursing.com. The simplest way to pass nursing school. Bam. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we're updating. If you guys are a nursing school or know a nursing student, we're updating 800 videos this year. And I'm about on video 600 that I'm updating right now. So we, we basically condense five chapters of content into one eight-minute video, which is really cool. And then we have an awesome animation team that throws it all together. So if you guys want to watch some stuff, go on YouTube and hit up Simple Nursing or check us out on Instagram. Yeah, YouTube has a lot of really good examples of what his course um, offers. Yeah. It's just a little, little, very small fraction of what he offers. And the the animated stuff is just amazing. It's so professional, so interesting to watch. Like it's, you know, so many times nursing education and like, you know, things that you... you Gosh, I think about the CCRN stuff that I'm watching right now. I just want to like, I'm just going to, I tell you, it's awful. It's just absolutely the most boring thing. Every time I think about it, I'm just like, no, I'm supposed to take it in February and I keep putting it off because I don't want to study this horrible material. It is so boring. So Mike's stuff is not like that at all. It's like super interesting and funny to watch. Like he's funny, you know how he is. He's just like this on <laughs> on his courses, like <laughs> just easy to listen to and makes it real real in, uh, interesting and simple to learn, like real interesting and easy ways to remember, like tools and stuff like mnemonic mm-hmm. devices. Yeah, and that tricks, sort of, yeah. Those things are so important when you're trying to just pass a test, you know, there's so much information. Oh man, I... That's the reason why we created, like, we kind of pivoted and, you know, went full animation and full memory tricks on the highly tested topics. Because, man, we we were looking at, you know, on YouTube and I'm like, well, what would I want as a student? You know, a lot of other YouTube channels are really dry, just a whiteboard, someone's a talking head. And it's like, what really sucks you into YouTube is like visual animation and like, you know, the way things come together with the fonts and colors. And we're like, you know what? what would I want as a student? And we want to do CCRN uh, next year and kind of recreate that. That would be cool. But. Well, um, thanks for doing it after I get my CCRN, unless I fail it. And then I guess I'll just have to Yeah, see so if you fail it, then we're going to be there. <laughs> you can tell us what, you know, how the test is, you know. And, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you, Mike, for coming back on to the show. Appreciate having you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll see you guys next time. Well, you guys know you can find us at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can listen to our episodes there. You can be a patron for $3 a month. You can access extra material and you can find um, merchandise with Good Nurse Bad Nurse merchandise, our t-shirts, mugs, and all that stuff. And you can find us on Instagram and at Good Nurse Bad Nurse. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, sort of. at GNBN Podcast. So not the best at the social media stuff. But I just also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, please be a good nurse. Mm-hmm.